Well, today we finish 2 John, and we'll read, our text this morning will be verses 7 through 13. I'll just go ahead and read this, page 1085. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Well, John concludes this short little letter, and the themes, as we discussed last week, are not unfamiliar to us because we just did a study of First John. And in First John, John is intentional about being a father to this flock, probably in Ephesus, but also it might be multiple churches that John has planted and ministered to. <clears throat> and John, and, and let's remember that we're, we're in the first century. I mean, Christianity is relatively new uh, in, the, in the context of the Roman Empire. And so in many ways, the whole Christian church is as little children. Uh, and in another way, we're all like little children uh, in the kingdom. But John is concerned for them as for little children, and he a father. And what he is most concerned about, well, one of the things he's most concerned about is false teaching. He is very concerned that they are going to be led astray. He's also, we know, concerned about their love for one another. I mean, if anything, if we had to boil everything John said down to one thing, we might say love one another. But he has given his flock or flocks test by which they may judge other teachers and by which they may judge themselves. And we have tried to hold these up for ourselves as individuals, but also uh, for ourselves as a church. So these are the tests that we use to judge ourselves, how we're doing, the genuineness of our profession of faith. But also these are filters, tools, tests for discernment, discerning other teachers, those who might come in. And while we don't have the traveling teachers anymore, we do have the internet. And the internet brings a multitude of teachers into our houses and into our doors um, and into our churches. And so we have something to hear from John. Now, the tests that he has essentially given have been three, if we think of First John and Second John. Uh, they've basically been three. They're, they've been a, a, a moral test. So do you, do they keep the commandments of God? Right? Do they, in, do, do, do the, does the law of God, the commandments of God, the teaching of the scriptures, do they matter? And do they demand obedience? And is obedience there? And then throw into that even what we discussed today in 1 John 1. Like, do they talk about such things as sin? Does righteousness matter? Is sin even a concept? I mean, think, think, about, the, think about the fact that within our culture, how little the word sin is used, right? It's just not even, it's like an antiquated word. Who uses that word anymore? If you use that word, you kind of, okay, you know, essentially, uh, I know the kind of person I'm dealing with here, a religious zealot. Who uses the word sin? But then we hear John's words in First John 1. If anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar. He's making God out to be a liar. So does sin matter? Does righteousness matter? You know, First John 3, those who are children of God pursue righteousness. And it's the children of the devil who sin, not sin particular sins, but who just go on sinning with no concern for confession, no concern for righteousness. So that was one test. There was the, 
the moral test. We should look for that. When we hear in our culture, churches that don't preach sin, don't call sin out, not just out there in the world, but in here, that don't point it out, that don't discuss the need to see it. When we, when we experience a sort of a rising culture of churches, we should be concerned. Churches that pander to the culture in order to make themselves attractive, to make people feel comfortable in church, and that's great, we want to make people feel comfortable, we turn the AC on. That kind of comfort, great, but comfort in which we don't squirm because we don't like talking about sin, that's the wrong kind of comfort. So that's a test. We should be holding that up. We should be thinking, why don't we hear more of this from our preachers? Another test was love. Is there genuine love for the flock? Is there love for one another? How are we doing? So there was that moral test. There was loving test. And then thirdly, the test of truth. Also a term that is not in vogue in our culture. We hate that word because that word seems to express objectivity as if there is such a thing, you know, which means that you may be, are you, are you telling me I'm wrong? Um, so we don't like that term. Just like we don't like the term sin, we don't like the term truth in our culture either. Now, last week in Second John, we looked at John pulling together love and truth. These are not, it, for John, there is zero, zero tension between love and truth. I love you in the truth, he said, actually, last week, right? I love, I love you in the truth. Truth and love, no tension. And that's, and of course, our culture does not understand this, and that's why it thinks discipline is awful and mean, because if you discipline somebody and you're saying something is wrong, you must hate them. The only reason you would tell somebody they're wrong is you hate them. And Christians just come with a countercultural, uh, no, no, I, I may tell you that because I love you. And because I believe that this false teaching or this sin in your life is actually leading you into harm's way. We thought about that last week, right? Even as we discussed in Sunday school, sort of that something in our gut gets it. You know, Betty brought it up. You know, hey, how about we butt out of each other's business and don't, don't nose into each other's business where we tell people they're wrong about stuff. Let, let people be. That's their lives. Well, that just doesn't fly within the kingdom of God. That's not what love does. I would never, I wouldn't do that for my children. If I saw my children doing something that I knew was destructive, I would at least have to confront it. I may not be able to fix it, but I would need to confront it. That's what love does. And I would do the same for you. And I hope you would do the same for me. And when it comes, we might feel like it's hate. We might feel like you don't love me because you're hurting me by saying something painful, but that would be unfair. Or at least it might be. Truth and love are not incompatible. They, they, they can, in fact, must go together. So last week, he brought those two together. Now, this week, he brings us back to truth, and he's going to wrap this up. And clearly, this short little letter is short because of what he says at the end. I have a lot more that I want to write to you. I just don't want to do it pen and ink. I kind of like that that's in there. It just seems so genuine. Like, I just, I'm looking forward to talking with you. I can't wait to get to where I can see you. So, hence, the short little letter. But short letters mean that the stuff that's in there is really important. And he's like, but this, I got to say... Because I don't know when I'm going to get there, and if I don't get there right away, at least you need this. And so these words matter. Now, I entitled, I entitled this sermon, Watch Yourselves. The uh, New King James in verse 8 says, look after yourselves. Um, and I'm not sure why in this. I thought I was looking at, when I titled it, I thought I was looking at the New King James. So, and it said, watch yourselves. But watch yourselves, verse 8. Watch yourselves. John is giving them this little charge here to guard themselves, and what he's telling them to guard themselves against is deception, false teaching, from everything he's been talking about in First John and now also here. 
Watch yourselves that we do not lose the things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Be careful, church, that you do not, that because you fall asleep at the wheel, and I have, I almost chose for our word of exhortation today uh, in Revelation 3, where the Lord speaks to the church of Sardis. You remember in the beginning of Revelation, he writes to seven churches. And yes, that's a picture of the whole church, but he does speak to a couple particular churches. But in each of these churches, we kind of see a facet of what we should be exhorted uh, to by the Lord. Well, the church of Sardis, he says, you are asleep at the switch. You are not watching the gate. And the enemy, you are allowing the enemy into your city. Now, if you remember when I preached that, the funny thing is, well, not funny at all, but, but the, the thing that connects that word to this city is that this city was a city that was built up on like a very steep cliff so that they were basically had natural border protection on like three sides of their city. Very, very steep cliffs to get to them. And therefore they felt very well protected and they weren't even watching that. All they had to do was worry about the gate at the front. But two times this city was taken over because other cities and other kingdoms had mountain climbers that scaled the walls of the cliffs, came over the walls that were unguarded, and was able to go in and defeat and open the gates and let enemies in. Like that literally happened to this city, and the Lord picks up on that picture of this city that has been asleep, that has not guarded its city well, and has felt the consequences of it, and the Lord writes to the church in that city and says, hey, I know you Sardis people. You're asleep at the switch. You're not watching. And let me tell you something, you better wake up or else I will come. And when I come, I'm going to bring judgment like to the church of Ephesus and take away your lampstand. Wake up. And that's what he says here in verse 8. Watch yourselves, lest you lose what you have worked for. And I don't think he means your salvation, because there's all kinds of mixed language problem in there. But what he's talking about is the work that you have worked for. You've labored by God's grace to establish a church here. And you have a young, thriving community, the people of God. And there's reward for that. You have labored within your city, and you have built a church, and you're building a community, and you're participating in the building of the kingdom. But be careful. Watch yourselves, because when deception comes, and your eyes drift away from Christ to false teaching, you'll be in jeopardy of losing everything you labored for in the Spirit. Rather, keep on being diligent, vigilant, that you might have a great reward. So let's just, I want to think about a couple things here. That, that we're thinking about all this under the exhortation, watch yourselves. And so here at Affirmation also, within the PCA and within the church at large, and you yourselves as individuals. Because what is true about the church at large, I think we could also say as individuals, beware, beware lest you be deceived to take your eyes off of Christ. Again, I think of Hebrews 12. Let us run the race set before us with endurance, disentangling ourselves from the sin which is all wrapped around our legs. You've got to cast that off and fixing your eyes on Christ Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Fixing your eyes on Christ is the only way you endure this marathon of a Christian life. But there are a million things distracting you. There are a million things calling for your attention. There are a million things that are making the argument that they're worthy of your attention, worthy of your efforts, that will distract you, disturb you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so not only we as a church, but you as individuals, and I as an individual, 
must watch ourselves and guard ourselves from the deception that most certainly wants to pull us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Hence, our Old Testament reading today. Because the Genesis 3 passage, right, again, it can very easily become cartoonish. But there is where it starts, right? And, and what we have in the serpent is this drawing of the eyes away from God, the gracious giver of all things, whose word is life, who sustains us and blesses us and anoints us with great authority over the whole garden. And yet Satan so easily was able to say, hey, look here, <laughs> look here, look at this shiny thing. And boom, the eyes right off of God, right? Whereas before we're looking to him for everything we have, we're trusting him, we're delighting in him, fellowshipping with him in the garden, and Satan comes and says, has God really said? And we said, hmm, I hadn't thought about that. And the eyes are right off of him. So that, that quickly, it can happen. So I want us to think very quickly about, let's just work through, but I want us to think about the deception, how we can have eyes for it, and then in this case, in what form it comes. It, it, in this case, it comes doctrinally. And I really believe that we are very susceptible to doctrinal confusion and deception because most of us do not take much time to study doctrine. We leave that to guys like me. That's what you do when you go to seminary. But I didn't go to seminary. I went to trade school, or I went to college to learn this, or I do that, or whatever you all do. You're like, that's what I do. That's what he does. This is what I do. But the deception here is doctrinal. He's not just writing to the pastor, it's to the church. We've got, to, we've got to know some things about Christ. Okay, so watch yourselves. Now let's think about the deception. Verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. In 1 John uh, 4, John talks about this as well uh, back in verse 3. Uh, so I'm just, you don't have to open it, I'm just going back. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. I want to think about this for a second. Because whatever when I say the word Antichrist, like any word I'm saying, this is, this is the challenge of being a teacher or a preacher, is when I say words, ideas come to your head. And so the job of the preacher is to make sure that I say the words that get the right image I'm trying to communicate to you. And sometimes that's tricky. That makes communication hard. When I say the word antichrist, I wonder what comes to your head. I think a lot of us probably have like John Hagee. I don't know if you know who John Hagee is, but like that kind of end times imagery of a guy who's going to come and lead everybody away. Uh, I don't know what you think of when you think of antichrist, but I know a lot of Christians kind of see this 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 figure that's going to come, some guy, and he's going to, um, I, I guess, lead many people, maybe even Christians, astray. And maybe there is such a guy, I don't know. But John is on to something much more, again, that can get very cartoonish. John is on to something much more real, and in, in my mind, much more dangerous. Not, not that if some guy comes and woos everybody away, that that's not dangerous, it will be. But notice John in 1 John 4 said, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. What point am I going on about? It's to say this. The deceivers in our culture, right? The deceivers in our culture, and maybe if we're together in Sunday school, we can think about where you, where you spot some of those. But they're not like professional deceivers. They're not, you know, they don't, they're, they're not like this band of criminals 
that are out to deceive the church. They're just normal men and women who think they're doing good and right things. Right? This is what makes them so hard to detect because they believe they are being authentic. They seem very authentic. Right? They don't, they don't have a badge of deceiver that they show you and, right? The deceiver, deception doesn't work this way. It doesn't work with making itself obvious. It's very hard to detect. We can read this and go, we can say, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to obviously avoid them. Right? When the deceivers come to the town of this church, they should know. Oh, there's a deceiver. Don't go there. But that's not how deceivers work. Like John's writing this. Who are these deceivers? How do I spot them? Well, how do you spot them today? The deception that we have to deal with is a spirit. And the spirit manifests itself through false teachers. There's no doubt about that. But it's a spirit of deception. It's a spirit of antichrist. Sometimes we can forget that we are in the middle of a cosmic battle. This is why I love the book of Revelation so much. Because it just puts it right in front of your face and goes, yeah, this is the story of the world. And you're like, it is? That's why we push it all to the end times. We're like... I, I can't even imagine any of this stuff. Beasts and horns and harlots and Babylon. It's like, it's just all got to be somewhere in the end. The last couple of years is obviously going to be crazy. And as you remember, I taught Revelation. I say, no, that's actually John's vision of right now. Do you see it? Are those the lenses you use to see the world? Do you see beasts and harlots? Do you hear trumpets? Is that what you see when you look at the world? If not, you're not seeing it clearly. We need lenses to be able to see this. So we need lenses to be able to see the deceiver and to hear the spirit of Antichrist. We are in the midst of a cosmic battle. There's no neutrality out there. It's not like, well, when we come in here, we're doing God business. And then when you go to the drug den, you're doing Satan's business. Or if you go to the whorehouse, you're going, that's Satan's stuff. Or there's really bad stuff. But basically, everything else is kind of neutral. Like, look, I got to get to work tomorrow. This is all neutral. I got to go do neutral stuff. And when I'm there, I'll try not to do Satan stuff. I'll even try to read my Bible so I do God stuff. But most of what I'm going to do today is neutral stuff. It's not. That is not the story of the Bible. There is no neutral stuff. Everything you're doing is part of a deep cosmic kingdom battle. That is the story of the world. We get deluded into thinking that most of what we do is neutral and hopefully we get, we'll go to heaven when we die and I'll do some God stuff and try to avoid the same stuff. That is how we generally view the world. That is deception. That's deception. We need lenses to see. This is why John is saying, look out for yourselves. Watch yourselves. This stuff gets on you quickly. And it compounds, right? It deludes you and then the delusion keeps you from seeing clearly, which deludes and on and on we go. The deceivers that you and I are up against are really invisible. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they're not real people, but again, they're invisible. They don't walk around with big D's on their chest. They look like very nice men and women who have your best interest in mind, who have the best interest of your neighbor, who have the best interest in the downcast. They love people. They care for people. They're just not preaching. And therefore, we must be on guard. There is a spirit of Antichrist that is strategic, that is hell-bent on destroying the church, on taking souls captive, on undermining the work of God. Now listen, God, I'm not saying it's an equal battle. God is absolutely sovereign. It is not an equal battle. God, as John Calvin says, 
holds Satan right in the palm of his hand. Everything Satan does, he does right in the hand, palm of God's hand. This is not like forces of darkness and forces of light and God and Satan. Are, it is not that. But make no mistake about it. With you and Satan, it'll feel like God is sovereign over it all. That this is the battle that we're in. It is one of deception. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Okay, so there's many out there. The very world that Jesus sent us out into, I send you out into the world, is a world full of deception and deceivers. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Christ. We'll get there in a second. Look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we've worked for. Whoever transgresses, and here again, the translation is not helpful. If you look, there's a footnote. If you don't have your Bibles open, that's all right. Just you have to take my word for it. But in verse 9, it says, whoever transgresses, and then the footnote there, little a, takes you down to the bottom of the page, which says, goes ahead. Whoever goes ahead, or I, I don't know if anybody has another translation. Anybody have like an ESV or anything? I don't know what the, what the translation is. But he uses this, he, he, it's this, he's not talking about moral transgression here. What he's talking about is anybody who goes beyond the limits of what Christ is taught. Okay? Anybody who is like taking the things that were once for all delivered to the saints. Remember when John said earlier, I don't give you a new commandment. I'm just telling you what Jesus told us. That's what I, Jesus told us. I'm taking it and giving it to you. What he's saying is anyone who goes beyond, anyone who pushes the boundaries, who goes beyond the faith once for all delivered to the saints, is in jeopardy of deception. This is not of God. Whoever goes beyond and does not, and here's the key, does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, that is the teaching of Christ, does not have God. So we have before us then. So here, here's a filter for us. We've got all these deceivers out in the world drawing our eyes away from Christ, not even intentionally. They may not even know they're doing it. And a whole host of things which are drawing our eyes away from Christ, and we're to watch ourselves. And what we have before us are those who go beyond what Christ is teaching and those who abide in what Christ teaches. So brothers and sisters, here's my charge to you today. Abide in what Christ teaches. You must know this. If you don't know this, if you do not know the Bible, and if you do not trust the Bible, then you will not abide in the Bible. You and I will have what the Bible describes as itching ears, always looking for the new thing, the updated thing. It's really a difference here between progressive Christianity and conservative Christianity. Now, don't use those terms in, po in political terms at all in this context. That's not what I'm talking about. We want to be deep-seated conservative Christians. And by conservative Christians, what I'm, again, I'm not talking about political position. I'm talking about conserving, not moving, rigid about our beliefs and holding to the teaching of Christ. Not progressive Christians who are always progressing to make this more and more relevant to our culture. Yeah, that was the culture 2,000 years ago. We get it, but now we've got to adapt it to this culture. Like many say about our Constitution, claiming it's a living document. And therefore, it really never means anything because we always have to reinterpret it into our cultural moment. We can do the same thing with the Bible. The Bible ends up never meaning anything to us because we don't take Paul or Jesus at his word. We always have to say, okay, that was fine for then, but now what's a new application for us today? And we take the revelation of Christ and we have to progress with it. We have to move above and beyond what he taught now to what it means today. And we're seeing that. 
We're seeing that in many of our churches, particularly we know the, the tip of the arrow right now, the tip of the sword is on issues of gender and sexuality. We're frankly embarrassed by what the Bible says. And when I say we, I mean modern evangelical. We're embarrassed by what the Bible says. It's so not hip. It is so not current. It is so not politically correct. And therefore, frankly, it just can't be true. It just can't mean that, what it says about it. And therefore, we have to reinterpret. We have to change. We have to mold. We have to go above and beyond. And we have to say new things or tell people what Paul really meant when he said this or what Jesus really meant when he said this. We, John says, must abide in the teachings of Christ. We must know, first of all, what he teaches and what the Bible teaches, and then we must trust it. If you're going to tell me that my understanding of the Bible is wrong, that's fair. That's fair. You could say, well, Bill, I think you are interpreting that passage wrongly. It's a fair argument to make, right? Just because I think the Bible says it doesn't mean that. So if you say to me, well, you're abiding in your interpretation, but I think your interpretation, that's a fair argument. But if you're going to try to persuade me, then you better tackle the issue with the scriptures itself, right? Not with con you know, contemporary ways of thinking and uh, the political moment we're in or the cultural moment we're in. No, no, no. You better say to me, here's why I think your interpretation is wrong. Because in Ezekiel it says this, or in John it says this, and in Romans it says this. But again, most times this is not happening in our church, even in our Christian, because we don't know the Bible well. Therefore, we are prone to deception. I can't hear the false teaching. It seems very true to me when you say it, because you say it with such authenticity and with such care and with such love. And we are in danger of that. So beware, church. There are many deceivers out there. Not like one or two, like most people are authentic and it's all true. There are many deceivers out there. And we should be, we should be praying for hypersensitivity to deception. And that deception comes when people transgress, but go above and beyond, try to make Christianity, the teaching of the Bible, relevant, make it fresh, update it. But for those of us who take Christ seriously, we must be those who endeavor to abide, anchor ourselves, be ultra-conservative about the faith. You're going to move me off my interpretation. It's going to take a lot of work. So we've got deception We've got progressive versus abiding, progressing versus abiding. And the issue here that John brings up, of course, is Christ. At the end of the day, it's Christ, right? In verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. And then again, uh, down in verse 9, For whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has the Father and the Son. That's why I chose John 14 today. Again, if you have me, you have the Father as well. But if we get Christ wrong, we don't have God. Like we're out. If you want God, relationship with God, you must have Christ. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. It's not just this salvation, but it's relationship. It's everything. It's knowledge. Like if you don't know Christ, you don't know God. There's no way to know God. There's no way to get to him except through the window of Christ. He's, he's the only way I see God. He's the only way I have God revealed to me. The, the unsearchable, incomprehensible God manifests himself to me in and through Christ. If I don't have Christ, I don't have God. But if I have Christ, I have the Father as well. I have, I have the triune God if I have Christ. And the, the particular deception they were wrestling with here, again, making Christianity relevant, was to say that Christ did not come in the flesh. Either... 
and again, we can deal with it in Sunday school. Either he's not really God. He's a man who is adopted into Godhead and like many pharaohs and kings is kind of given some divine attributes and is godlike. Either that's true about him or he's not really human. There were teachers saying that too. That God came to relate to man but in the appearance of humanity but not really human. I would love to flesh out the, no pun intended, the, the consequences of both of those and we can do that in Sunday school. But again, that may not be the deception we're wrestling with today. But my charge to you, members of Affirmation, friends of Affirmation, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Be like the tree planted by streams of water in Psalm 1, who meditates on God's law day and night. Have the lens of the book of Revelation, and if you don't know it that well, that's okay. Take this summary to suffice, but then go read it and read it and read it. Have the lens which recognizes the duality, if you will, of life that it is either light or darkness not a dualism they're not they're not equal but it's a duality there are two forces light overcomes darkness but there is light and there's darkness it's either light or darkness right it's either kingdom of god or kingdom of darkness it's either the bride or the harlot it's either the beast or the lamb it is what everything you do is one or the other there is no neutrality and there is a spirit of antichrist that desires to, destro- uh, to deceive and to destroy you. And he's at work even inside this building, right? It's not like we've come into this age. Your mind right now is dis- Your mind right now is prone to deception, right? That, that's the nature of the battle we're in. And hence the word of the text today. So watch yourself. Be hypersensitive to this. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ and be rigid conservatives in the scripture. Unbending, unyielding, trusting it. No matter how ridiculous it might sound or offensive it may sound in a modern's ears, our hearts and minds must be tethered to Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that there are many smooth talkers, many caring men and women who nonetheless have the spirit of Antichrist. And Father, we pray that you would help us not just to trust the scriptures, but to know them. And if we need work on that, then Father, convict us to For if we don't know the Word of God, how can we recognize the deceiver? So Father, be with us. Strengthen us in our faith, we pray. Guard your church. Guard the work that has been done here, lest it be lost in days, years, or generations to come, as it was lost in the church of Ephesus. May it never be true of affirmation. May it never be true of the churches in New York State. May it never be true the church is in the PCA, and yet, we don't like all denominations, we are prone to it. And we've seen so many denominations slide away into shame, disgrace, heresy, and it's a cultural meaningless. Protect us from that. The church, protect us from that as individuals we pray.